0: Hey, welcome back or welcome to the show. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast, episode 166. And with this podcast, I love to share veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. I also love to share overall wellness topics and vegan entrepreneurship topics because this is so much more than food. It truly is a lifestyle. Don't forget to come hang out with me on Instagram. I'm at Brown there. And on YouTube, um, Brown Vegan on that platform as well. So, yes, I hope you're having an amazing day. Thank you so much for being here. I'm back with another conversation for you. But before we get into that, I want to shout out this week's five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Omaha Vegan Mama left five stars. And the title for her episode is Exactly What I've Been Looking For. I love, love, love this podcast. I have to say in the podcast world, there are so many male vegan podcasters. And while I do find them very informative, they were lacking what I really and truly needed. When I found this, I was over the moon. I'm a vegan mom with a vegan family with a very picky little eater, who is turning three and who was recently diagnosed with a sensory disorder. Getting her to eat and gain weight has been such a journey. So finding a podcast with another vegan mom has been a godsend. I have been trying to find something like this for the last year. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, girl. I'm here for you. (laughs) Thank you so much for your five-star review. I truly appreciate it. If you are enjoying the show, make sure that you go over to Apple Podcasts search Brown Vegan, scroll down, rate the show five stars and leave a review and let me know what you think. What topics are you enjoying? What episodes are you enjoying? It's a free and awesome way to support the show. It allows more people to find us like Omaha Vegan Mama was able to find us. So definitely go ahead and make sure you do that. So yes, I have Jessica Carter on the show today. Jessica and I connected several years ago, so it's so good to have her finally on here to share her vegan story. We talk about recipe development, cooking, as well as the basics of food photography. Her pictures are so amazing. So I love how she shares some tips on how to do that as far as creating her content. We also talk about her journey to eating gluten-free. She was very open in that experience and also shares some tips on how you can eat gluten-free if that's something that you need to do or something that you desire. And also a thing that I really enjoyed is that Jessica talks about how she inspires and teach people through her live and virtual cooking demos. So I will be sure to link everything for you on the blog post so that you can check out Jessica. It's going to be under episode 166 at brownvegan.com. And also make sure you go hang out with Jessica on Instagram. Her handle over there is
1: love.vegan.soul.
0: So yes, without further ado, let's go ahead and
1: jump right into the conversation. So my journey to going vegan was, I mean, it was kind of drawn out, I would say so. But I went vegan in 2016. But before that, I ate primarily plant-based. And that happened because I was a recent college graduate and I was A recent grad school dropout, (laughs) and so I had a very limited budget. I
0: dropped out. Wait, (laughs) I've never heard anybody describe grad school like that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, you know they do that thing. This is a a sidebar, but you know they do that thing in college, but definitely in grad school. It's like, look to your left, look to your right. Two of you won't be here when you graduate. And I was like, oh man, that's a crazy statistic. Man, I did. I was done. (laughs) I didn't make it far (laughs) at
2: (laughs) all.
1: So I decided the, the grad school program. was in was not for me. And so I was trying to find work as a recent undergrad and it was like at the height of the economic downturn, right? That happened in 2008. So this was like, Mm -hmm. you know, around 2009 and I had a Netflix account. I had access to Netflix. And so I was watching all the documentaries, like a very millennial going vegan story. And the, the documentary that actually made me reconsider my food choices in a real way was Food Inc. So have you seen that one before? I have. Yeah, that was one of the first ones I watched too. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it just highlighted basically, you know, like how corporate the food system is and how little regard they have for the actual people, you know, just seeing them as consumers. And so just looking at like how food is created, I was came out of that being like, you know what, I need to eat organic food, but I only had like $40 a week to spend on groceries. Yeah, I didn't have much money at all. It was very rough, and I'm on the East Coast, so it was like a big adjustment coming from the Midwest. Like the the dollars weren't stretching like they used to, and so the adjustment that I made in order to do that was like I can't afford farm raised, organically fed meat, right? And so I pretty much initially started sticking to fresh produce grains and beans. And then like I would supplement with yogurt and eggs because I felt like it was healthy, but I didn't like it that much. So I really was super plant-based. I went back and forth once I actually started working corporate because, you know, I would travel a lot for work and sometimes I'd be in a hotel for like seven days and, you know, you can only eat salad and French fries so much, especially if you can't leave the hotel. So I was eating like Mm -hmm. salmon and I was eating desserts and stuff, but basically I waffled back and forth. And finally in 2016, I watched Cowspiracy. Ooh, yeah. And so I I had made this broader choice, like for personal for personal reasons. Like I want to improve my health. You know, that was why I started eating more plant based around 2011. Was I wanted to do it for my health, and also like I was not pleased with the food system, and so I wanted to vote with my dollar and show like I don't, you know, approve this conventional food. But when I watched Cowspiracy, I was like, okay you've been ignoring the whole animal cruelty part and the and the degradation of our environment piece for too long. And so it was like, Jessica, you are a grown woman. You have enough information now that you can make a choice to live your values. And so me ultimately going vegan in 2016 was more so related to making a deeper cut commitment to like issues bigger than myself, basically. And being like, if this is the life, you know, if these are the things you prioritize, if these are your values, then just make the commitment. And once I did that, like the world opened up. When you give yourself fewer like, spaces for leeway, like, oh, well, I'll make an exception for this. I'll make an exception for that. Or maybe me anyways. When I like put my heels in the ground, I find ways to make it work. But if you feel like you have options, you kind of like dance around things a bit more. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, believe it or not, it was another documentary that helped me to go full force. And then from then, like yeah, so many opportunities have opened up for me. I started developing recipes and all kind of other stuff. So yeah, that's what pushed me to make the switch.
0: Yeah, it's, it's wow. When you make that decision, it really does alleviate a lot of the excuses that we give ourselves. You know, it's like, okay, it's one thing to go into it and you think you want to do it. But when you decide to do it, you'll okay, get in the kitchen, you'll start reading ingredients, you'll start cooking a little bit more, you'll start finding out what's on a happy cow as far as a vegan food near you. So it's so powerful. I feel like that step is underrated. It, it really is.
1: I completely agree.
0: Yeah. So, okay. I know you love the recipe development and I miss like seeing you a lot on Instagram. I meant to tell you this last time we spoke because I I love how beautiful and bright and your food just always looks so good. So have you always been someone, I love to ask this question. It's like one of my favorite questions to ask vegans, fellow vegans is, (laughs) have you always been a cook? I know you said you were stretching your dollars in college, Mm -hmm. but did you always enjoy cooking, or did it come because you kind of had no choice with being a vegan?
1: I always loved to cook. Honestly, I did. I can remember being like a little kid like three years old. And like, I would always be under my mom in the kitchen, like, mom, what are you doing? Can I help? Can I help? Yeah. So I always loved to cook. And I was also that little kid who like, after Saturday morning cartoons were over, I would turn to PBS and watch cooking shows for the rest of the day. If I was allowed, you know, cause we only had one TV in the house. So as for as long as I could dominate the TV, I was going to have it on cooking shows on PBS. That was very <laughs> much me. And my mom is so funny. Cause she was like, you know, I should have, I should have figured out earlier that this is what you were going to be doing with your life. Because I just thought it was the strangest thing that you were watching cooking shows as a little kid I just didn't get it I was like <laughs> I know right <laughs> but then I feel like I have a common experience that a lot of kids have like probably around middle school you know my parents would be at work and i would get a call like Jessica pull this chicken out the freezer
0: okay, grab yes, these spices and season
1: it yeah and so like they started <laughs> giving me that responsibility like pulling the chicken out the freezer and putting some corn on and da 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 things like that and so probably after like you know, the fifth time somebody called me and told me to pull it out and what spices to put on. And I was like, you know what? I can figure this out myself. I've done this enough times. So that's when I started actually like experimenting with spices and stuff. And I was like pretty much the go-to cook in my house by the time I was in high school.
0: Nice. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So what when you ta- decided to become vegan, what are some of the meals that you had to make sure that you would be able to enjoy as a vegan? Because you know, sometimes people don't do this because they think that they're going to be missing out on all of their favorite dishes were there uh, some that you could think of that you had to make sure they were right so that you can feel like okay this is a lifestyle for me
1: you know that's a really interesting question because honestly that was not necessarily my approach and now I'll tell you some of my go-to dishes that I have figured out how to recreate but like initially my mindset was like Jessica You are making a radically different choice about how you want to live your life. So be open to approaching food and cooking a totally different way. So yeah, like I was very much experimental in the beginning. I was also like whole food plant-based there for a while. So I was doing like, you know, I was just discovering the world of like like smoothie bowls and like making my own dressings and my own sauces and stuff like that. So it took me a while to actually be like, how do I recreate the classics? Because I was very much like, you know what? You want to do something different with your life. Everybody, you know, most people kind of have a set way, a set lifestyle in their culture, their community, but there are quite a few people out there in the world who change their lives drastically and they're fine. So. Are you one of those people who could be open to that? And I I was like, Yeah, I want to be one of those people. So it wasn't necessarily a priority for me in the beginning, but some staple foods, like my mom, she wasn't like she didn't love to cook. Her mom really didn't cook growing up. And when she got married, she'd be in the church. And you know, the ladies in the church showed her how to make like staple soul food dishes. So there are certain like Childhood dishes that my mom made that I definitely wanted to learn how to create later once I got to that stage and I started feeling a little bit more nostalgic, like a couple years into my journey. And so that's like lasagna. My mom made really good chili. And then she also used to make sweet and sour chicken, like the go to special occasion dish that we would have was like sweet and sour chicken with pineapple chunks. And so Mm. I figured out how to make sweet and sour chicken with tofu instead. And it's really, really good.
0: Nice. Okay. I like that. I, I don't think I've heard this approach before as far as like, well, maybe I have, but just not articulated the same way you just said it. Because a lot of times people are like, they go into it and they feel like there may be a loss. Like, know. so they're always trying to <laughs> figure out how to make Or maybe I'm speaking for myself, Jessica, (laughs) how to make all of my favorite foods vegan. So I I love that perspective. Yeah. I
1: don't think that, I mean, I think that's a very like common unifying experience. Like, you know, and so, and and once I actually started developing recipes, that's something I would say to people is like, if there's something you want to learn how to veganize, let me know because I'll figure it out for you, you know, because I know how important that is to people. Like, and I also know that like, I'm not, you know, like I I don't want to spend all day cooking a meal on a regular basis, but like if I get a crazy idea in my head, like, oh, I want to figure out how to make dumplings, grain-free dumplings using sweet potato, I'm willing to stand in the kitchen for two and a half hours to figure it out. Like everybody doesn't mm-hmm. have that kind of like, that. that's an eclectic streak. You know what I mean? So I, I understand yeah. that everybody doesn't want to be in the kitchen all like that. So no, I don't think your experience is like, I think you have a very normal experience with that transition.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Where did you start as far as putting content online? What was your motivation to do it? Was it because you wanted to hold yourself accountable as far as as you were learning things, or did you just want to share what you were learning with other people?
1: Okay. So I'm definitely, preface, I'm definitely one of those like serial, quiet observer type of people on social media typically. So like, been watching YouTube for years and never posted a YouTube video. Not, you know, not even commenting. Like I'll tell people like, you should watch this video. But I wasn't like engaging in social media in that way. Mm. And so I was consuming social media and I was like seeing things that were people were doing and thought it was cool. And like, I was always interested in like photography. I was interested in like creating, like, how do they make their food look good? Like I, I just didn't that wasn't something that was like instinctive to me. My food looked <laughs> like home food, you know what I mean? So right, right. Yeah, and so for me, it was like creative, basically. That's the main reason I got on, on Instagram primarily was to like have a space for creative expression and build kind of like a little portfolio and also to be able to look back at my progress and my journey. But it wasn't like an accountability thing. It was more so like I want to be creative in a public way. I want to learn skills. I feel really inspired. And it seems like the natural place for me to practice and share what I'm working on is in this platform that I'm learning so much on. So that was pretty much my motivation for social media.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like a lot of people kind of lurk. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the
1: right word to use. Oh, I'm a big like, lurker. That's the word I could not find. Yes, I'm was a, I'm a serial <laughs> lurker. <laughs>
0: Not a serial (laughs) one though. (laughs) You should get on YouTube, especially because you always like teach live classes and you do, and that's something that's your, in your element for. And I know you do cooking demos in person and you do them virtually. Like I don't, what's, what's stopping you from being on that platform?
1: That's a great question. I mean, honestly, I've made several attempts at YouTube channels. Like the first YouTube video I uploaded was like in, I think it was 2009. And it was like a natural, what? it was a natural hair journey video because I went natural in 2005 and had all these pictures. You know, it was that 460... Four, four <laughs> Stream quality, mm-hmm. like they're real, real lo- gritty stuff. But yeah, so that was the first YouTube channel I made. But then I get to this phase when people actually started watching my videos and commenting, I got overwhelmed. So like, I'm an introvert. I'm a real introvert. And I'm like, so I, I go through the back and forth of like, mm, I wanna share, want to share, but do I want to engage? There, like, like, I don't yes. know. Yeah. So so that's where I've gone back and forth with YouTube. And I have put a couple like YouTube videos online for food and stuff. I just... I feel like I need to practice editing more because the editing process is so long when I've created recipe videos before. And then I'm like, do you love how it turned out for all the effort you put in? But that's not the that's not the mindset I should have. I should have the mindset of like I'm learning a craft. You have to put in the time you get better at it eventually. You know, so. Well, Well, you can outsource it. Outsource that thing, girl. That's, no
0: it's, that's it's a lot of moving parts yes that's if you true. can outsource it please do that that's the only way I'm gonna be able to come back and there's no way I can do this podcast and everything else that I do and still try to move do everything on that yeah no I'm not gonna do it I refuse I can't come back unless I do it <laughs> so definitely consider outsourcing
1: well I would love to talk to you maybe like how do you find a good editor because that's the thing I've struggled with is like I mean also because I don't know my vision yet. So I need to start. You know what I mean? Okay. Just to be yes. like, this is what I want it to look like because I'm also very particular. Like you know that perfectionism masquerading or, or a procrastination masquerading as perfectionism. Oh, like yeah. I very oh, much yeah. I very much have that, that issue as well. So you know, we work yeah,
0: it through I got you. But you know what? You're making a very good point because you do need to figure out what you want to do. And it is important to know how to do a lot of these things. And so when you pass it off to someone else, it's just easier to articulate what you need. You know, yeah. so, yeah, you're right. You do. But I don't think that you should give yourself that pressure. You know, if you can get some, you know, simple videos going and then learn the basics and
1: then hand it off, I think that that will be good for you. And you'll figure it out as you go. Thank you, you. Thank you for saying that out loud to me because I needed to hear that again from somebody, like you know, yes, to push girl. me forward. So, yes, I received that. I will work on that.
0: Yes, as you should. Definitely. Let's talk about the process of you coming up with your recipes. Like, I would love to know what that looks like. And then I want to talk about photography, even if it's just the basics that you want to share about how to make beautiful pictures for Instagram, because you just do that so naturally. I'm just like, sometimes I look at yourself and I'm like, I feel like she just literally just put this here and it was so effortless, but I know it wasn't. (laughs) So let's say this though. Are you these days focusing on content for Instagram or is it more so for blogs and then your live cooking classes? Like what is
1: the focus when you come up with your recipes? So my focus has not existed up until this point. I'm very much like a project oriented person, but then I love the idea, the ideation stage of like everything. So it's like, oh, I'm going to write a concept for a recipe ebook I want to put out. Okay. I've outlined it. Oh, you know what? That reminds me of 10 other eBooks I should write. Oh <laughs> yeah. So I'm one of those people who I have notebooks full of titles and outlines and, and I, and I don't, and I haven't done the projects fully, but what, Ooh, Ooh, when I hit my groove, Ooh, Monique, it's just going to be so much, <laughs> but so, so that's part of it. But I, in terms of like, that's, that's been a problem up until this point. And so what I'm trying to do is lean into my strengths and, and doing virtual cooking demos, like live cooking demos, has become a strength of mine over the past few years. And so I'm looking at how to do live video. And so that's not necessarily on Instagram, right? So yeah, looking at how to do live cooking demo videos, finding a pl- platform to do that publicly, because mainly I do those privately or associated with the nonprofit work I work with that we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, so, so live cooking demos is where it's at. And so I plan to do that on YouTube. And then there's this new platform called Kitsch that just launched that I'm going to be doing like weekly live cooking demos on as well. So that's the primary focus. And then having done this content creation thing for so long, like kind of embedding multiple forms of content when I'm creating something. So it's like, okay, do the cooking demo. Now take your your dish. Don't eat it. Take a picture of it first. Okay. So now I have something (laughs) to post to Instagram. Just, you know, to show like, okay, here's another thing I worked on. So like once again, Instagram is kind of like my portfolio. So like I haven't really been pushing like engagement or growth that much on Instagram. I've just kind of been sharing what I've been doing like as it crops up. So I do want to start producing more in general. So Instagram will see the fruits of that labor, I think. But it's not like the primary platform that I'm creating content for at this point.
0: Yeah. So it's mostly gonna be the kitsch. Platform and then YouTube eventually, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What about blogging? How do you feel about that? Blogging, ooh, blogging feels like homework. <laughs> Not
0: homework. <laughs> I forget, really. I, because it's, you got to write long form. Yeah. Is what, that's why you're saying that? Yeah. yeah. And it's like,
1: <laughs> uh, and writing is like, okay. So like I have the the per- per- perfection procrastination syndrome da 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 right and so like mm-hmm. if I'm doing that with recipe development ultimately it's like Jessica there's still the motivation that when you finish you get to eat the food right so yes.
0: get the picture it's together. not wasted time regardless of what the post did you, you needed to eat anyway you, right you
1: gonna eat that food when it's Austin exactly
0: <laughs> but with the blog <laughs> remember like, that
1: <laughs> but with the blog it's like okay I took the picture you know but. And so I just, I haven't got there. I need to do it. But I, I feel like once I get a good video portfolio going, then I'll have content that I can repurpose into a blog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. so so I'm trying to, that, that's kind of where I'm at. I know there's money in blogging, the SEO. Like, I feel like that's just a, a good stream of income that I should really be tapping into. I just need to work on the self-discipline. So I'm like, Jessica, start with being consistent with the things you already like to do. And then mm-hmm. you become more disciplined about, you know, being, consistent with the things that you're more apprehensive about. Because I feel like actually I'm a decent writer and not that you need to be like a great novelist or a great literary person to write a blog, right? People want to relate to you and get the information right. you have to share. So I'm like overthinking. I'm like, girl, if you don't just, so.
0: Do it, yeah, do that,
1: it. Do that, it. <laughs> I think that's like my thing for 2022. Like, girl, if you don't just, that's my, that's what I say to myself.
0: <laughs> Let's go back to the recipe. Did we even, we didn't talk about that part, the recipe development. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, what is your process for that? And then we'll go into the food photography. It's my fault because I get excited and then I have like 5,000 questions, but go ahead. <laughs> oh,
1: for sure. So for me, I feel like I've been consuming food content for so long. Like I told you, like I've been watching cooking shows since I was a little kid, right? But when it comes to recipe development, it kind of goes back to uh, something I used to do when I first started eating plant based, which was I would like have like oh I have a zucchini, a, a tomato, I have rice, I have lentils, I have all these things in my fridge and pantry. So then I would go to the internet and type in recipes and list the ingredients. So now when I do recipe development, I will pull the things that I have that I'm like okay I want these things, and I think I want it to be savory. And I want to slurp something so a noodle needs to be involved. And then I'll just like kind of bring it together into something cohesive like that. So it's very much like a mental like visualization thing, also with like a sensory thing. Like these are the textures I'm trying to experience. These are flavors I'm trying to experience. Okay, how do I make this cohesive? And that's part of it. But I think now that I've gone gluten-free, also part of it has been like, how do I create things that I love? Because all my favorite things were made with meat. Money, like everything I love most in this earth, donuts, rolls, bread, and I, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. But so much, so many of the things that I love to eat were made with wheat, and so it's like, okay, can, can how can do I make done? it good? Yeah, <laughs> like, can I, How do I do this? So, so part of it is, is really craving based. I guess is the the easiest way of saying is it. like, what am I craving? And then like I kind of deconstruct a little bit, like what about it? Am I craving? And then I kind of think about, okay, what do I have? And then it's just kind of like a creative session like that to like turn it into an actual recipe.
0: It's Monique hopping in in real quick to let you know that I put together a vegan starter kit for you. So if you are vegan curious or you're a vegetarian, I put together some steps that you should take in order to make vegan life a reality for you. In the vegan starter kit, I go over meal planning, grocery shopping, eating out and all of the steps that you need to take to get started right now in a very practical way. Head over to brownveganvip.com to download the free vegan starter kit. That's brownveganvip.com. I want to talk about the photography. That's the only thing I've been, that's been on my mind since we've been talking because <laughs> like I said, your pictures are so crisp. They're so clear. They're nice and bright. I feel like I can see the textures of the foods that you put present. You have very simple props like, flout, like plants and things like mm-hmm. that. And, What does that process look like for you as someone? And I want to know for myself more. I'm sure there's some listeners that want to know, but I really want to know for myself because I'm really want to get into this food photography thing. So what does that process look like after you put the meal together? How do you start with like the plating and then setting everything up to take your pictures?
1: That is a great question. So food photography definitely didn't come natural to me. And I feel like I have a lot to learn. It but looks so
0: natural. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Thank you.
1: But And I think part of the reason it looks natural is because in the beginning, I definitely overthought it a lot. And then I had to create a setting that helped me to like not have to think so much so I could just plug and in, plug in, press and get my shot. So I like natural textures. I like contrasting colors. I like... You know the vibrant greens and stuff. My kitchen is extremely dark. I have like a dungeon kitchen. Like it's really, really dark. And so I was trying to figure this out forever. Like I was, I there was a point I was putting white poster board down in my middle of my floor in my bedroom and holding lamps over it. It was, it was rough. I was getting a shot eventually, but it was a like long learning process. So now I have a window in my dining area. And the room itself is still pretty dark, but I have a table that's pretty high sitting next to that. And then I have like a textured backdrop down and I usually put down some sort of like natural, you know, like cloth, like a linen type of looking thing. And then I have a bunch of plants. And once again, because my apartment is so dark, the only plants that I've figured out how to make thrive in my apartment is pothos. They mm. they do pretty well. And so I just have a lot of pothos. I've been propagating them for like the past four years. So they've like become their own little jungle. So that's how I get my little <laughs> jungle set up. But yeah, I just use natural light from a side lit window. And then I do not plate. I, I plate the opposite of how I eat. Like when I eat, I want the biggest bowl and I'm like stuffing <laughs> it in trying to overflow it. And it does not look good when you do that. So I like go against my instincts. Like, okay. Don't overflow it. There's about a billion or at least seven elements in here that you want people to be able to identify. And so I try to create, make sure there's enough space. I like using like lines. So like I keep my stuff separate. Like some people are really good at like doing food photography where like everything's mixed together and you can still see everything. And I'm like, y'all gotta be using tweezers to place everything or something. Cause like when I actually watch, like videos about how people do like food styling and food photography, they spend hours plating something. Yeah. I was yeah. like, that's not going to work. Mm-mm, I can't do it. So I, I go for a more simpler plating and just be like, okay, let's keep each component of the dish separate. They can touch or whatever. And then I try to layer like condiments. So like if I'm doing nachos, like for example, if I have lettuce on the plate, then I'll put down the tortillas so that breaks up the green so that if when I go ahead and put down the scallions, the green isn't against the green. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. I try to layer colors strategically so that the elements like contrast with each other in a nice way. So that that's just kind of how I've, I've started doing food photography. Once again, like it, it's kind of instinctual, but I look at a lot of pictures for inspiration as well. Like, oh, oh, okay. You know what I mean? And that kind of mm-hmm. helps me. I'm very much a visual learner. Like that's how I learned how to do hair in high school was... I went to the hairstylist about two times and saw how she worked the curling iron. I was like, I think I can do this at home. <laughs> I learned I through demonstration. Okay.
0: Yeah. Maybe a little bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And you know what? I think the, the your style makes the food more approachable because sometimes food can look so amazing and you could tell it took someone hours and hours, like you were saying, to stage it, that it can be a little intimidating. Like you feel like you can't really cook that. Like, can I make this, can I bake this cake? can I cook this stew? Because it just looks a little intimidating. But I feel like with your approach, it's more relatable. Like people look at it and like, oh, okay, this will be good for dinner kind of thing. So I think that's important. Your style is important. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What are you using as far as taking most of your pictures? Are you using your phone or do you have like a nice camera?
1: Yeah. So when I first started taking pictures, I have, I still have it. I don't use it as much, but I had a a Canon T3i with like a 50 millimeter lens. And I used that for a while, but now it's way more convenient. So I have a Google Pixel 3. So it's not even, it's not even close to the latest model, but I use the back camera and I usually use natural light. And then sometimes I'll also use my Canon M50 and I love that camera. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I prefer to use my phone just because the, the photos are already in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I prefer to use my phone, but if I have a little bit of time or if it's like a dish that I'm like, ooh, this could go in a cookbook at some point. I'll make sure to snap it with the M50 and, you know, email it to myself and like just post it up. But I I think it's like you can kind of tell if you're looking really closely the difference between the two. Like those type of photos are interspersed with each other in my feed for like the last year or so. But I think they're pretty comparable. The, The The pixel's pretty cool. Mm
0: hmm. Let's go ahead and switch gears because I really want to know about your journey to eating gluten-free. Mm. So a lot of times people, you know, they start this, they start to go vegan and then they, of course, we learn more information and we start making adjustments as we go through life. So what made you decide that you wanted to be gluten free?
1: Yeah. So my gluten free journey is a little it's kind of peculiar. So when I when I went started eating plant based, and then I started working full time. I used to like pack oatmeal or get oatmeal going into work and because I thought it was healthy and it was like, well, I can't eat eggs for breakfast, you know. So I started eating a lot of oatmeal and I hated oatmeal growing up as a kid. Like I would like cry and I'd do the most. Like I I hated eating oatmeal as a kid. But I was like, I'm grown. Jessica, you can eat healthy oatmeal, it's fine. So I started eating it, and after two weeks, I noticed that like my skin was itching. And then, like I started getting like a bumpy rash like on the insides of my fingers, mm. and I was like, "What's going on?" And so I just started googling a lot, and they they were like, "Oh, you might have an oat allergen or an oat sensitivity." and I was like, "What what in the world So the more research I found, basically, I saw that like a gluten sensitivity and an oat sensitivity went hand in hand, so for mm. the most part, like I started avoiding it. I definitely cut out oats more. More definitely because I didn't like them as much anyway. But I became <laughs> right, like crazy. yeah, I, I became suspicious of gluten, and that would go periods of time like a month, three months, six months where I wouldn't eat any gluten at all. So that that's kind of the cycle I was in for the longest time. And then I would say, okay, so a donut a donut restaurant opened up in my part of town, Donut Run. Ooh, Donut Run! Mm-hmm. Yes, like donut run yes, yes, yes. Donut run, it's uh, it's heavenly, and so <laughs> I, I was proud of myself because I only went there like three times in three months, and I got at okay, least. Look at you stretching it out. I was getting a dozen every time, and they didn't last more than three wow. days, though. But I, I you know, I, I calmed You know, I was like, okay, restraint. But I noticed after one one day, I had eaten like two donuts in like the course of four hours, and my skin was red on my face. And it was dry and it was blotchy and I had these really fine red bumps like all along like the plane of my face, like my cheeks. It was kind of like acne, but the bumps were really, really small. And like my skin was just like inflamed, like it didn't hurt, but it was like almost sore. And and also like um, the patch of skin in between my eyebrows was like really, really flaky. And I was like, I had I've had oily skin my whole life, like oily skin to the point like where well, this is an overshare, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it. Like when I was in high school, like I would have so much oil in my nose, like that I would like take the oil from my nose and like rub it into my hands or my elbows, like, okay, let's just redistribute the oil. You know what I mean? Like, oh wow. I was really, really oily.
0: Not
1: <laughs> and so I was like, this is weird. I was like, I'm aging? Like this is aging. And then I started Googling, of course. So I started doing the research again and I started looking up gluten intolerance and some other things things that I had been noticing in my body, I didn't think they were symptoms. I just thought they were like, you know, familial. Like I think they call it like, I don't know the scientific term, but it's like chicken skin, like on your shoulders or on your back. It's like fine kind of rough bumps that people have. I had that, that started popping up probably right after I graduated from college and it just some other things. And I was like, I think this is gluten. I think several people in my family have a gluten issue, but I think I definitely have one. So I stopped eating gluten probably like march last year march was it yeah march 2021 and within 3 months like everything that i was dealing with like going had gone away the flaky patches were gone from my face the redness was gone the fine bumps were gone and i was like oh crap okay My body was like, no, you can't casually do this anymore at all. Yeah, so that's when I went gluten free in terms of like not eating bread or donuts or stuff, but I was still not like checking labels hardcore. So, like, I would have a flare up and I was like, oh crap, I ate soy sauce. There's wheat and soy sauce. So, I can only do like liquid aminos or tamari or coconut aminos now. Like, my body's just requiring the most expensive things, you know? So, yeah, it, it was really crazy, but like my inflammation has gone down tremend- tremendously. I've lost like 15 pounds just from not eating mm-hmm. wheat anymore. I mean, part of it is probably I'm not eating as many processed foods, but either way, like, no, there's been a drastic shift. And so I've had to make some adjustments. And for the most part, I went pretty straightforward. I was like, I'm not looking for a gluten-free bread. I'm not looking for a gluten-free pasta right now. I just need to focus on eating whole plant foods for a while because clearly my body's going through something. So it just needs to like cleanse a little bit. And so I just need to feed it cleansing foods. But after a while, I wanted some pasta. (laughs) So I started experimenting with like pastas and stuff. Here, here's what I will say about pasta: spaghetti noodles are hard. You're gonna be disappointed with most like spaghetti gluten free situations. I feel like I feel like that's the mm-hmm. hardest noodle to replace. But like penne's and rotini's and stuff, those are those are pretty good. So like it, usually things made with like red lentil, like red lentil pasta, I like. I like explore cuisine. Their pastas are really good to me. It depends on what you're using them in. So like. I tend to use noodles as much for like, mainly for like creamy pastas or like Asian style dishes. So not as much for like spaghetti and meatballs. Like I might eat spaghetti like, I don't know, maybe like four or five times a year. Like I don't make it that often, but you'll see me like eating a new noodle stir fry way more often. So I have like an, an array of rice noodles, but my favorite kind are like the vermicelli rice noodles the vietnamese ones so specifically like they have really mm-hmm. good like elasticity because you know some rice noodles you you boil them and they start breaking immediately like they're really delicate the vietnamese yeah. rice noodles are like great texture so yeah i would say like honestly safeway brand they're grain-free pot i mean they're chickpea pasta i like maybe i like it because it's always on sale when i buy it and i'm like this is pretty good <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I like like the store brands are good. And I will say two thumbs down for the Trader Joe's Black Bean Rotini. That stuff is messed up. <laughs> it's like it gets scummy and it makes your water black and it's like real crumbly and grainy when you eat it. But their red lentil, like really skinny Rotini, that's cool. That's cool. So it's like some stuff is a hit or miss. Like Just because the store makes a good one type of great gluten-free pasta doesn't mean the other is going to be good
0: hmm. I think it's like all about being open minded to try different brands because, you know, how it's easy to try something
1: and you're like, oh, all of them suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but
0: you just prove that we have to be open minded with that.
1: Uh, what is your experience yeah. with gluten free pasta? Been?
0: The gummy, the gumminess. OK, yeah. gummy.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The gumminess. But there's one brand. Gosh, I'm gonna put it in the show notes because I don't remember it right now. It's the only gluten free pasta that I like. I think it starts with a J. Oh, interesting.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm curious. I'm gonna put in the
0: show notes. Yeah, because I can't. I have to look it up. But I've tried that, and it was pretty good. But yeah, most of the time I'll just go stick with what I know. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the gluten pasta. So it's gonna be good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would say that I avoid like rice based pastas because the gumminess that you're talking about, like when they have like the rice blends, those can get real sticky clump together. So yeah, mm-hmm. I've had better pot luck with like the red lentil or yellow beet split pea pastas and stuff. I will also say that I like the Explore Cuisine green lentil lasagna noodles. They're like
2: mm-hmm.
1: no boil noodles. Those have been working well for me for making lasagna recently. So,
0: oh okay, yeah, I think that I could see why because the lentil ones I feel like they're more forgiving. Mm -hmm. Like I can walk away and they'll come back and it won't be messed up. Yeah, like it's like gluten free pasta. You have to set a timer. You have to be on it because if you're not, you won't waste your money.
1: (laughs) It's true. And I (laughs) see people making like cooking videos and they're using gluten free pasta and then they don't even rinse the pasta after. I'm like, you gotta rinse that. That's no. That's gonna stop that cooking. Yeah, or or, like they dump everything in at the same time. I'm like, that's gonna be like one one congealed like it lets off a lot of starch it does absolutely yeah
0: so I'm glad that you're having a good experience as far as like the transitioning from that part because I do think about it often but I don't know if I will necessarily and maybe because unlike you I don't really feel like I have a reason to change it but I think that just being more conscious like eating more make sure I eat more more whole ingredients is important, but I, I like how it worked for you. Like, it doesn't seem like it's been such a big shift in your life. Like you've been able to just embrace it and just make the changes as you need to. So I like that about your story.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a gradual process for sure. Like I was in denial. I was I was self-sabotaging, but like, like I said, once my face went crazy, I was like, oh, that's it. I can't do it no more. I, I'm also like, yeah, I guess the stakes were high enough, and I don't recommend that people necessarily right. <laughs> go gluten-free just for fun. Like, if you don't need to, like, you know, having diversity in the foods you eat is important. So, like, not having to eliminate like whole sets of grains, that's okay. <laughs> like, if you could, if yeah, you process that's very it, process good point. It. Yeah.
0: Yes. I'm so glad you're saying that, you know, for somebody, especially someone who's listening, who may be a new vegan or vegan curious. It's so so true. Like you don't have to just eliminate things unless you really need to, or you want to. Mm -hmm. So that's a very, very good point. I want to talk about Afro vegan society and your, I want to kind of, I think that's going to be our last topic because I know you've been with them for how long has, how many years, like four or five years at this point? Actually only two years that's it?
1: I know. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Wait. So when you were doing stuff with them before, it was just kind of like a more of a freelance thing or just like supporting them. What was that? Yeah. So
1: I I actually worked at a different vegan organization in DC. And so, yeah, like we had just connected through that. And so she, you know, the the leader would invite me to do like cooking demos at their events and stuff. So it wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't working for them. I was kind of like showing up in a professional slash volunteer capacity.
0: Oh, okay, that's why I didn't realize it's only been 2 years. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do with the Afro Vegan Society?
1: I've been with Afro Vegan Society since May 2020, and I'm the director of programming, and so really my focus is on creating resources and information to help educate people about the benefits of going vegan and to provide support to help them stay vegan. And so, most of the content we create is you know, virtual digital. So videos, we're working on some really informative guides. I do write blog posts over at Afro Vegan Society.
2: <laughs> okay, look at you.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah, just that type of content. So just exploring different aspects of vegan living and why it's relevant to the Black community. What are the benefits? What do we have to gain? And then like exploring, like what are, you know, the damaging impacts of animal agriculture on Black communities? And so why is going vegan an answer and a solution for that?
0: Yeah. So you guys have been doing amazing work. I know before COVID, I used to love going up there to Baltimore to see what y'all had going on as far as like just a a lot of times I wasn't volunteering. I was just kind of hanging out Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I can talk to everyone and enjoy the food and things like that. Do you guys have anything coming up? I know the world has been shut down for so long. What do you have any plans for 2022? Like is, is the uh, Soul Fest coming back this year? Do you know anything about that?
1: Yeah. So the Soul Fest is actually a, an event that our founder, Brenda Sanders, puts on with Nigel Wright Brown. So that's their, it's separate. Yeah. That's okay. Their, yeah. That's their event. And so I believe it is coming back in 2022. I haven't seen any official dates or announcements, but I believe it's coming back. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And I think that Afro Vegan Society will be present tabling in some capacity there. So you can definitely- probably get-
0: will probably be at the table, right? I
1: think so. Yeah, I <laughs> definitely think so. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, primarily for ABS, like our, our content and like our work is going to continue to be virtual, but I do think we have the plans to like table at like community events and stuff throughout this year as well. So you may see Afro Vegan Society at some at some vegan events, some black e- vegan events or just black community events on the East Coast this summer.
0: That's awesome. Yes. My last question is, what are you looking forward to, Jessica? Like, what are you excited about? It doesn't have to be vegan or work related, just in general. I just want to end with that.
1: Hmm. What am I looking forward to? I am yeah. looking forward to actually creating a cookbook. It's something I've been saying I wanted to do forever. And actually, like, one of the things I used to say about myself when I was young, it's like, I want to be a writer. And so it only occurred to me, like, it took me a minute to come full circle. Like, Jessica, you can still be a writer. You can write a cookbook. I'm like, oh, Mm duh. So I'm working on that. And I'm definitely using, like, live video as a motivation for me to write these recipes. So I'm trying to go consistently, like... Do a lot of cooking demos so that I can be creating new recipes every week so that I can really have like a nice library of Arsenal, recipes yeah. to put together and put out in a cookbook. I, I wanna have like a draft of it done by the end of the year because it I feel like it's overdue and I just have to get over the the unknown and just do it. And then it's like, okay, now the world is open up, you know you know how to do it. So and, and just looking for more opportunities to do creative things period like I was very much like a crafty creative kid growing up so like I've been like crocheting again I've been picking up books and reading them again like it's been so long that I've just been doing everything on screen so just getting back to some of my favorite hobbies and reconnecting with like what made me excited about life when I was young and seeing like what still stands up in the current day you know Mm -hmm.
0: I love this so much tell us how we can follow you on Instagram and send us wherever else you want us to go
1: Absolutely. So I will definitely share my link for Kitsch where you can join and watch me for cooking demos. I'll also share my YouTube link because I'm definitely planning on sharing a lot more Food related videos hey, there, yes, 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 and then and it's a good way to promote your cookbook
0: that's coming. I think so. so.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make sense to just abandon a platform where there's a following. You know what I mean? And I, I like I Instagram. Mean. It's not terrible. You know, it's just like getting motivated creatively, and yeah. And then I will also share my Instagram link, which is at love dot soul, and yeah, I, I post photos and videos and announcements about when I'm going live. So if you're interested in cooking demos, a good way to find out what I'm going live next is by following me on IG.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being on. And I hope to see you again in person very, very soon. Me too. Thanks so much for having me, Monique. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to make it easy for others to find us. Also, tell a friend. Be sure to share the episode on your Instagram stories and tag Brown Vegan. Thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you next week.